European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance. Volume 43, Issue 42. Focus Issue, Heart Failure and Cardiomyopathies. By Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Heart Failure in Cardio-Oncology and Adult Congenital Heart Disease. New Challenges and Therapeutic Targets. This focus issue on heart failure, or HF, and cardiomyopathies contains the state-of-the-art review entitled Cardiovascular Complications of Immune Checkpoint Inhibitors for Cancer by Frank Thunney and colleagues from the University Mediterranean Center of Cardio-Oncology, Marseille, France. The authors point out that over the last decade or so, there has been a paradigm shift in the oncological care of patients with a range of solid tumor and hematological malignancies, away from traditional cytotoxic chemotherapy and towards personalized cancer treatments using both targeted therapy and immunotherapy. This shift has contributed to the remarkable and sustained increase in the number of cancer survivors and in the longevity of patients with a cancer diagnosis, but also to an exponential increase of patients suffering cardiovascular events. This review focuses on the cardiovascular effects of immune checkpoint inhibitors and presents a background on immune checkpoint inhibition for cancer, the epidemiology, potential mechanisms, the potential insights into cardiovascular biology, and a diagnostic and therapeutic approach to potential cases. The general understanding of the cardiovascular effects of immune checkpoint inhibitors needs to improve rapidly. Initial observations noted that immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy can lead to a fulminant myocarditis. Recent reports have expanded the effect of immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy on the cardiovascular system to include an increase in cardiovascular dysfunction without myocarditis, as well as arrhythmias, venous thromboembolic disease, accelerated atherosclerosis, and atherosclerosis-related cardiovascular events. The association between immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy and an increase in these cardiovascular events is not only limited to events occurring within the first few weeks after starting therapy, but can also include events that occur months to years after therapy. The latter observation is of particular relevance in those treated with adjuvant and neoadjuvant therapy. There is a need for shifting from the mere recognition of an increase in cardiovascular events associated with currently approved immune checkpoint inhibitor therapies to understanding the mechanisms that lead to adverse cardiovascular effects, understanding who is at risk, and understanding what we can do about it. Stroke is a devastating complication of HF, but it is rarely considered when the clinical consequences of HF are described. If stroke is discussed in HF, it's usually in the context of associated atrial fibrillation, or AF. However, stroke also occurs in HF patients without documented AF, although most older reports did not differentiate between individuals with and without AF. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Predicting Stroke in Heart Failure and Reduced Ejection Fraction Without Atrial Fibrillation, Karu Kondu and colleagues from the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom note that anticoagulation reduces this risk in patients with and without AF, but the risk-to-benefit balance in the latter group overall is not favourable. Identification of patients with HEFREF without AF at the highest risk of stroke 
may allow targeted and safer use of prophylactic anticoagulant therapy. In a pooled patient-level cohort of the Paradigm HF, Atmosphere and DAPA HF trials, a previously derived simple risk model for stroke, consisting of three variables, history of prior stroke, insulin-treated diabetes and plasma N-terminal probane natriuretic peptide level, was validated. Of the 20,159 patients included, 12,751 patients did not have AF at baseline. Among patients without AF, 2.7% experienced a stroke over a median follow-up of 2.0 years. The risk for stroke increased with increasing risk score. Fourth quintile hazard ratio, or HR, 2.35. Fifth quintile HR, 3.73, with the first quintile as reference. For patients in the top quintile, the rate of stroke was 21.2 per 1,000 patient years, similar to participants with AF not receiving anticoagulation, 20.1 per 1,000 patient years. Model discrimination was good, with a C-index of 0.84. The authors conclude that it's possible to identify a subset of HEFREF patients without AF, with a stroke risk equivalent to that of patients with AF, who are not anticoagulated. In these patients, the risk-to-benefit balance might justify the use of prophylactic anticoagulation, but this hypothesis needs to be tested prospectively. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Dimitrios Sagris, Edouard Chancilla and Gregory Lipp from the University of Liverpool in the United Kingdom. The authors conclude that the simple, practical and accurate identification of HEFREF patients in sinus rhythm at high thromboembolic risk, promotes a more patient-specific therapeutic strategy, especially in the frail and multimorbid HF population. Of note, many patients with HEFREF may develop silent episodes of AF, which confer a poor outcome. Finally, we should also not forget the impact of a holistic and integrated care approach that encompasses careful attention to comorbidities and lifestyle factors in reducing adverse outcomes including cardiovascular mortality, stroke, and bleeding. Future randomized controlled trials in selected HEFREF patients with sinus rhythm at high thromboembolic risk, selected with refined simple risk stratification tools that account for dynamic changes in risk profile, may provide more evidence for embracing any one-size-fits-all anticoagulation strategy, as well as important insights into personalized stroke risk assessments. Although life expectancy in adults with congenital heart diseases, or ACHDs, has increased dramatically over the past five decades, a substantial number of patients still die prematurely. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Last Year of Life of Adults with Congenital Heart Diseases, Causes of Death and Patterns of Care, Isbeth van Boek and colleagues from the KU Leuven University of Leuven in Belgium try to gain understanding of the trajectories of dying in ACHD and for this, the last year of life, warrants further investigation. To this end, the author's study aimed to 1. define the cause of death and 2. describe the patterns of healthcare utilisation in the last year of life of adults with CHD. This retrospective mortality follow-back study used healthcare claims and clinical data from Belkodak which includes patients with ACHD from Belgium. 
Healthcare utilisation comprises cardiovascular procedures, ACHD physician contacts, general practitioner visits, hospitalisations, emergency department or ED visits, intensive care unit or ICU admissions, and specialist palliative care, and was identified using nomenclature codes. Of the 390 included patients, almost half the study population, 45%, died from a cardiovascular cause. In the last year of life, 87% of patients were hospitalised, 78% of patients had an ED visit, and 19% of patients had an ICU admission. Specialist palliative care was provided to 17% of patients, and to only 4% when looking at the patients with cardiovascular causes of death. The authors conclude that there is a high use of intensive and potentially avoidable care at the end of life. This may imply that end-of-life care provision can be improved. Further studies should further examine end-of-life care provision in the light of a patient's needs and preferences and how the healthcare system can adequately respond. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Jill Steiner and James Kirkpatrick from the University of Washington in Seattle, USA. The authors point out that as we look towards future ACHD research needs, we must keep in mind the importance of first understanding patients' palliative care needs. What are their care preferences and expectations, illness understanding and their self-perceived ability to manage their care, and the impact of their symptoms on quality of life. We must work to determine what might be ACHD-specific goals of care, how these change as patients approach end of life, and how healthcare systems can best respond to and support patients' needs. Then we must invest in the development and dissemination of interventions to target improvements in these areas of need. Examining the end of life of patients with ACHD provides a great opportunity to learn about the potential applications of palliative care in this unique patient population, guided by the experience of those who have come before. This view from the end, provided by Van Bulk et al., can help chart future journeys. Cardiotoxicity leading to HF is a growing problem in many cancer survivors. In a clinical research article entitled, A circular RNA derived from the insulin receptor locus protects against doxorubicin-induced cardiotoxicity. Ong Chao Lu from the Hanover Medical School in Germany looked at this question more closely. The author found that the highly species-conserved CERC-RNA insulin receptor, or CERC-INSR, participates in HF processes, including those provoked by cardiotoxic anti-cancer treatments. Hemotherapy-provoked cardiotoxicity led to the downregulation of CERC-INSR in rodents and patients, which mechanistically contributed to cardiomyocyte cell death, cardiac dysfunction, and mitochondrial damage. In contrast, CERC-INSR overexpression prevented doxorubicin-mediated cardiotoxicity in both rodent and human cardiomyocytes in vitro and in a mouse model of chronic doxorubicin cardiotoxicity. Breast cancer type 1 susceptibility protein, or BRCA1, was identified as a regulator of CERC-INSR expression. Detailed transcriptomic and proteomic analyses reveal that CERC-INSR regulates apoptotic and metabolic pathways in cardiomyocytes. 
CERC-INSR physically interacts with the single-stranded DNA binding protein, or SSBP1, mediating its cardioprotective effects under doxorubicin stress. Importantly, in vitro transcribed and circulized CERC-INSR mimics also protect against doxorubicin-induced cardiotoxicity. The authors conclude that CERC-INSR is a highly conserved non-coding RNA, which is down-regulated during cardiotoxicity and cardiac remodeling. Adeno-associated virus and CERC RNA mimics-based CERC INSR overexpression prevent and reverse doxorubicin-mediated cardiomyocyte death and improve cardiac function. The results of this study highlight a novel and translationally important CERC INSR-based therapeutic approach for doxorubicin-induced cardiac dysfunction. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Carlo Tocchetti from the Federico II Università in Naples, Italy. The authors note that the body of preclinical data provided by Lou et al. suggests altogether a strong translational potential of CERC INSR. This novel approach may retain its potential not only in doxorubicin-induced cardiomyopathy, but also in response to other cardiotoxic common anti-cancer agents, such as, for example, taxanes. Further detailed investigations are warranted in this context, but the group of Thomas Thumb has unveiled a novel avenue towards treatment of cardiotoxicity which deserves to be pursued in a further drug discovery process as well as clinical testing. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.